Hello and welcome to another weekly teaching from Vineyard Community Church, St. Louis. Okay, so we're going to start this morning with, I'm going to call this vocabulary trivia, okay? Not a quiz, right? Because that's like, who wants a quiz? Nobody wants that. But this is going to be vocabulary uh, trivia. If you've got your sheet, I've got a couple of spots here just in case you want to remember these words, okay? So this is going to be interesting. Uh, see how you guys, see how you guys do, okay? A scurry fudge is, a scurry fudge is a, a, this is multiple choice, four, four option, multiple choice, a rare tree fungus, a last minute tidy up before the arrival of guests, a small mouse-like mammal from New Zealand. It's very specific, so. But we do know there are things that only live in New Zealand, so it's interesting. Or D, a medieval kitchen implement for whisking eggs. So I don't, know, I don't remember the last time I heard the word implement used that way. But OK, so I'm not going to do a poll for all of them. But just because it's the first one, just to give, let's, let's do a little poll here. Who thinks it's A? Raise your hand. OK, couple for A. Yep. Who thinks it's B? Okay, a lot for B, all right. What about C? All right, all right, maybe a little less than B, and D. Okay, a few for D. So actually, uh, I, don't, I don't know if you guys just already knew it, but the answer is B. So that was probably almost 50% of you that got that. A last minute tidy up before the arrival of guests. I know for me, that's the only kind of tidying up that occurs, so. <laughs> That's cool. I was like, I didn't know there was anything else other than last minute, so that's good. Okay, good job. Okay, a scary punch. Okay, we had our next one here. Number two, gadzookery is the deliberate use of old-fashioned language, comical displays of magic, a type of jazz music, all right? Who's a jazz fan in here? I'm just curious. Just that, yeah, there's not a lot of, I was like, I was thinking, I know Kirk is, definitely. He's got, all right. Or D, the careless handling of living things, which is, you know, quite terrible. Okay, so you got, you got an answer locked in in your mind? All right, I won't pull you on this one. The answer is, hey, <laughs> Timothy knows that. All right, that's good. Okay, just two more, okay? To gro this might be my favorite one. To groke is to... A, unclog a small creek blocked by vegetation. B, lend money to a distant relative. That's probably not it, because I just said this is my favorite one, right? So that doesn't sound fun at all. Uh, to gaze at a person eating and hope that they'll give you some of their food. <laughs> How many people live with someone who does this? Right? Or maybe, I mean, I'm sure all dogs do it. Every single dog does that, right? Okay. Or D, to hide a valuable object in a garden. Okay. I think you might have already guessed. It is, in fact, C. There's like this, you know, multiple choice uh, test taking, you know, uh, what, what do we call that? Tips or whatever. Some people tell you to go with the longest answer, and some people go with, tell you to go with the shortest answer. I don't know what works best, but in this case, the longest answer. Okay, so last one, and this is the whole reason why we're doing this vocabulary quiz, okay? This is for, this is for Danielle. 
Something is quotidian if it is A, measured, B, sufficient, C, quote-worthy, or D, commonplace. Okay, quotidian. Hmm. Okay, you ready? The answer is, it's D. All right, Joshua, good job. All right. Timothy, did you get all of these right? All right, there we go. That's good. I'm not surprised. That's good. Um, quotidian. Okay, so why am I bringing this word up? Well, up until about a month ago, I'd never heard it before. And then, uh, and then I was sitting in an LSAT meeting, um, and Danielle uses this word, quotidian. And the rest of us in the meeting are like, what, what did you just say, you know? So was that English? We don't, know, we don't really know what that meant. And so, uh, so she explained that quotidian, things that are quotidian are commonplace, they're, they're daily, they're kind of the everyday thing. I actually, actually, maybe I still have it up on my phone. I, I read this, uh, oh yeah, this is good. This is hilarious. When you talk about the quotidian, this is from like Webster or something, you're talking about the little things in life, everyday events that are normal and not that exciting. Going to the store, doing chores, working or going to school, and brushing your teeth are all quotidian. If you take a spaceship to Mars, that would be unusual and extraordinary and the opposite of quotidian. Okay, so I don't know why they chose, I just thought that was, I was humored by that. Um, so quotidian, we're like, oh, okay, that's interesting. We, we now know what quotidian means. And then I don't know if it's like, I mean, I really swear I've never heard that word before. Over the next three days, I heard that word used like four times. <laughs> and I was like, whoa, what is going on here? It was just really funny. Um, and I thought of this word as I was talking, uh, as I was thinking about our teaching today, and especially as we were going, as we've been going through our series here, um, this last part of the way in is the way on, as we've been talking about joy, because really I think a lot of our emphasis has been on having an understanding that joy is actually not just something that is extraordinary and unusual, right? It doesn't have to just come when you're taking a space shuttle to Mars. Um, I don't know if that would be joyful or just terrifying. I don't know. But, um, but in fact, that Jesus has joy for us in the everyday, right? There's a lot of everyday joy, quotidian joy that he wants us to have. And that is like kind of in, in, I don't know, just talking to a lot of you and just I know from my own experience, I think that's, that's kind of like a revealing thing. You know, it's not something that we've really thought a lot about. And as we've been talking about that, um, you know, I think there's maybe two ways to, to think about that. And, and one way is David and Chris and uh, have gone over in the last few weeks here, done a really great job of, is, um, is they, they, they kind of honed in on this idea of gratitude at the end, right? So the last couple of weeks, we've kind of had this, these exercises or, or these invitations where we talk about sort of uh, thinking through in your life and being able to identify places that where you've had deep gratitude welling up and, and then being able to name that. And part of why that helps us to have quotidian joy is because it's become something that you can access anytime. And in fact, the practice of joy, like getting better and better at joy, one of the ways that you do that is by 
continuously going back and accessing those places that you've had joy. You do that every day if you can. Do that more than once a day if you can. Being able to stay in that place of gratitude, okay? So that's one piece of it. But another way to introduce more joy into your life, which we'll be spending a little bit more time about today, is actually to be present to the things that are happening in the everyday. In the everyday, the things that occur regularly, being actually present to that. And so we're going to talk about what that looks like this morning, okay? So, so this is the practice of joy, part two, okay? And it's part two. David last week uh, took us into scripture uh, about Zechariah, Mary, and Elizabeth, and we are going to just go right back into that story. So it's part two. We're just going to slow it down, though, and we're going to kind of take our time with it a little bit more, and we're going to see, hopefully, we're going to identify some places of joy. So just before we get into that, though, Romans 14, this was kind of the verse we started off with in this joy series to help orient us. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, okay? And just in case you're wondering why words are underlined, that's the the fill-in-the-blank parts on your guided notes, okay? For the kingdom of God, right, the kingdom of God that we've talked about a lot, is the active rule and reign of Jesus, okay? Our one king, when his active rule and reign is invited in, it comes near to us, but it's something that has to be yielded to. It's not a geographic place that you find yourself in. It's something you actually have to invite. There's participation The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. It's not a matter of external behaviors or things that you can readily identify on the outside. No, the kingdom of God is within. It happens on the inside. And what you see in it is righteousness, peace, and joy, and joy in the Holy Spirit, okay? So we are going to go through... uh, Oh, yes, and I'll, I'll just mention this too, right? We started off with this joy is fundamental to the kingdom. It matters to Jesus whether you're living in joy. And just like righteousness and peace, it takes effort, which is what we've been talking about, practice, right? You can learn this. You can grow in this to follow Jesus into joy, okay? All right, so we're going to be going through Luke 1, 5, all the way to 45, okay? Um, So if you've got your Bibles, get them out. If you've got your phones or whatever, get those out. You can follow along. If you don't, that's okay, too. Um, I realized last time I was up here and I was trying to read my physical Bible that the words are starting to get really small. So, <laughs> so I have to use, have to use Lainey's iPad here, which I'm going to do. Okay, but I'm also doing something else that's, that's, uh, that's weird, okay? Instead of putting the scripture up on the screen, I really, I, I struggle to explain why I made this decision, except that maybe it's the Holy Spirit. I don't know. But there's three sections in the story And I guess I just sort of felt like, you know, man, these stories are so rich, and there's something that the church has thought about for a long time. Christians for 2,000 years have have meditated and thought about these things, and for some reason I decided that I was going to look up art that is related to these three different sections, okay? And I am like, like, there's a lot of things I don't know anything about, and chief among them is art. <laughs> so, so I don't know why I decided this, but don't, don't come up to me afterwards and try to have an art history, you know, criticism, you know, discussion or anything. I, I won't be able to follow you on that at all, okay? Um, but for whatever reason, I just felt like, hey, we're going we're gonna to just put up some paintings, okay? So this is 
from that guy. He's very famous. <laughs> so I'm not going to try. Okay, from 1490. These are all, and by the way, these are all European painters, okay? European or American painters. So let that, we'll just let that settle in. But Luke 1, 5 to 25. And as we're reading through, what we want to do is pay attention to where we see righteousness, peace, and joy happening, right? Sometimes it'll be directly said, and sometimes it won't be, but you'll be able to see it anyway, okay? Okay, so, yeah, and you can feel free to just settle. You can stare at the picture if you'd like. You can just listen, okay? Or you can follow along. So it says, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren. And both were advanced in years. Okay? So this is from Luke's gospel. And Luke is really kind of unique amongst the four gospel writers. He's, uh, he's a physician, we know, and he's, he's very detailed. He's, he's really kind of playing the part of historian. So he puts in a lot of, so he's very careful with how he says things. And he puts in a lot of details that the other writers don't. And I love this. I love how he starts here because he points out that yes, Elizabeth, as, as David mentioned last week, who's, who is old, okay? Uh, we don't know exactly how old, but it's clear that, that she's very old. That she didn't have children because she was barren. She couldn't, right? And, you know, maybe for, for us in this culture, that may or may not be as big of a deal. I mean, I think it's, it's still a big deal, certainly. But, but in that culture, and in really most cultures historically across the globe, uh, the ability to have children from a woman was like, really kind of the be-all, end-all in a lot of ways. Your value was wrapped up in your ability to produce children. And so for her to be barren, and again, this is, this is in the Jewish culture, but this is in lots of cultures all over the world, that if you could not have children, there was something wrong with you, you know? Probably something morally wrong with you, that you are being punished by God or by the gods or whatever. And Luke makes it really clear right off the bat, and it's so good that he does this, that, no, actually, Elizabeth and Zechariah, they were, well, they were righteous, right? They were blameless. doesn't mean they were without sin, but there was nothing about what they did that caused this barrenness for Elizabeth. He's really, really clear about that, which is great. And so Zechariah... It says, Now while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Okay, so this is just a little bit of context on this. There were about 20,000 priests at the time in, um, in Israel, or in the Jewish state. And uh, the burning of incense was something that they did uh, regularly. But because there's 20,000 of them, and there's only one temple... Okay? It's something that you have to be chosen by lot to do. And once you were chosen once, you would never be able to do it again. Okay? This is like a really, really big deal. Right? You think about 20,000 people who could have had this honor, and, um, and you get chosen by lot. It's the only time. It, it might never happen in your life, but for Zechariah, this is the only time it will ever happen, and he's old. Okay? And so it says the whole multitude of people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. 
And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. Okay, so already we see righteousness happening, right? We've seen that with, Mary, uh, with Elizabeth and Zechariah, the way they live their lives. And then here, it doesn't use the word peace, but, you know, universally, when people encounter angels, they freak out pretty much 100% of the time, okay? Um, so, and I don't know, like, you know, this one doesn't really make it look like a big freak out. I don't even know if you can see that. You know, the angels kind of got wings there doesn't look that scary necessarily. Um, But universally in scripture, when people encounter angels, uh, the next words are, don't be afraid, right? And so essentially what he's saying is peace, right? I want you to receive peace from me, not not this being, you know, stirred up and um, freaking out that you're doing, but I actually want you to receive peace. I'm here for good reason. Your wife is going to bear a son, right? An impossibility on two fronts, right? She's barren and she's old. And what does the angel say? He says, you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient of the wisdom of the just to make ready for the people, uh, for the Lord, a people prepared. Okay, so this is this, this is called the annunciation of the angel to Zechariah, right? This is like a big deal. And, um, And there's a lot of parallels of this event to Old Testament stories too. Right? We, think, um, we think about uh, Abraham and Sarah, we think about um, Hannah, you know, and giving birth to Samuel, right? There's several, several things like this that Zechariah would have been familiar with where, um, where there is announcement to someone who was not able to have children that, no, actually you're going to bear a child, right? It's a big deal. It's a big deal. Well, let's look at how Zechariah responds. Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you, to bring you this good news. Okay? So Zechariah has this response. Okay? And I think really, I think it's easy for us to judge Zechariah, right? It's like, you know, how can I know that this is going to happen? You mean like other than the angel showing up, you know, like right in front of you? Like besides that, how would I know, you know? Um, so it's easy for us to judge. And I think, I think Gabriel here is, you know, maybe slightly offended and maybe rightfully so, right? Um, he's like, dude, I'm Gabriel, all right? <laughs> come on, come on. I'm offended here. Um, but he's but, you know, as easy as it is for us to judge Zachariah here, right? Like, I think really, if we take a second, this is, this is quite relatable. Um, you got to think about the situation that he's been in, okay? Like I said, bearing a child is a really, really big deal. They've been righteous. They've been blameless before the Lord for all this time. And undoubtedly, they've been praying. Well, actually, we know. It says right in there that, that they have been praying for a child, Right? They've been praying. They've been praying for years and years and years and years, and um, 
and undoubtedly disappointed, right? And I don't know if you have ever been in a situation, I imagine a lot of you have, where you've really, really wanted something, and you ask God for it over and over and over again, and it just doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. And at some point, right, in that process, you've got to make a decision. (laughs) You're like, do I keep hoping for this thing? Do I keep asking God about it and nothing happens? Or do I just find a way to, like, let it go, you know? Find a way to just shut it down, shut it off, this hope. And um, and I think it's probably pretty clear that's what happened with Zechariah, right? He's like, "This this is over, right? This was over a long time ago. And, you know, he had found whatever measure of peace, I think, that um, he could have. And so he's like, are you sure, right? I mean, you get, when you get told something that's impossible, you're like, how? he's like, how would I know that? How, how could I hold on to this? I think what he's really asking is like, is it actually safe, right? I, this, is, this is such like a, such a big deal for me. And I've, I've, had, I've so much invested in this. I've had so much disappointment in this. You know, one of the teachings that we, we didn't get to do that we had talked about doing was following Jesus into our disappointment, right? There's a lot of disappointment in life, and some of them are really big. And he's like, look, I've got this thing locked away in, in, in this box somewhere, right? I'm not going to just open it up. <laughs> like, that sounds really, really, really hard. And I think what he's asking is, is it safe? right? Is it really safe to open this up? Um, how can I really know that I could put my weight on this, right? And I think it's a fair question. And so Gabriel responds by, you know, talking about his credentials. <laughs> I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to you, right? And he says this, and behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And, you know, I think this sounds like a punishment, maybe, and in some ways it is. I think it's a little bit of a consequence. Um, but I actually think, as I was, I was meditating on this, like, you know, I think this is like a really great gift in a lot of ways, right? Zechariah is asking, how could I know? How could I put my weight on this? And while probably nobody really wants to not be able to talk. I don't, so actually, some of you probably do want to be able to not talk. <laughs> you introverts. Uh, like, if I could just not say anything for about three days, that'd be great. Um, but he's given this clear sign. How can I know? Well, I'm leaving you with something supernatural. <laughs> you won't be able to talk. And every time you open your mouth and you can't say something, and every time people look at you, and they know you can't say anything, that's actually going to be a sign that, no, in fact, this thing is happening, right? This is real. This is real. And so I think there's an aspect of graciousness that we see that the angel leaves, that Gabriel leaves, that, yeah, he understands this is, this is a hard thing. And so, um, and it's interesting here that, that what he says is that you didn't believe, Right? And we spent some time about that word, uh, believe. We spent some time talking about that, right? And that how in kingdom terms, what that really means is to yield, right? To yield ourselves. It's not, it's not just about believing something sort of intellectually or assenting to some truth. It's actually being able to give yourself to yield to this rule and reign of God. So what's that, what the angel is saying is, 
you didn't believe, you, you weren't at a place where you could give yourself to the thing that I'm telling you, right? And so because of that, I'm going to leave you this time and space to be able to yield to it more. And we won't get to it, but Zachariah's story ends real well, right? He uh, gets to, he names John, he, he, he has, at the end of this chapter, chapter one, he gives this wonderful, beautiful prophecy out loud, right? He gets a speech back, and there is indeed great joy. And so here's what happens after um, the angel speaks. It says, the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. And after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Sorry. Um, this is a big deal, right? And it's something that God gives Elizabeth in this time, and it's worthy of being painted about, I think. So, okay, next section. This is verse 26. I found out, actually, this artist. Okay, see? I did learn something. Now I know something about art. This artist is uh, an American who lived mostly in Paris, functioned mostly in Paris. He's actually African-American, probably the first well-known African-American artist uh, ever. So, so this is a different rendition, right, of the angel. And, you know, so, so before we had, maybe part of why I was kind of fascinated by the art things, right, because before we had motion picture, when people were imagining these stories, right? They didn't have, you know, we didn't have the Chosen or the Jesus film or anything, right? They, were, they just had to try to capture things in this one, one frame. So that is Henry Oswald Tanner's version of Mary and the Annunciation there. So let's read about that. Verse 26, In the sixth month of the angel, the angel Gabriel, again Gabriel, was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, Okay, a place that literally nobody has heard of before. Okay. To a virgin betrothed, um, which is like, like, like a middle step between engagement and marriage in the Jewish culture. Okay. A virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, right? Again, peace, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Okay? See, I'm gonna, and I'm going to be really disciplined. I'm not going to say anything about any of that because it's like, in, like so much theology and wonderfulness about Jesus in that paragraph, but you're going to have to look at that on your own, okay? And so Mary responds to the angel and says, how will this be since I am a virgin, okay? So Mary is young, okay? We, know, we don't know exactly how young, but she is young, um, but she is betrothed, and she knows that this is not possible, okay? Her being with child, she knows how this works, and she has not done things that would result in her being able to be pregnant. 
And so uh, she asked this question that actually, I don't know, to me sounds a little bit like Zachariah's question, right? I mean, Zachariah's like, how could I know this be true? She's like, how? I mean, I'll just also, at least in the English, you know, it starts with the word how. How will this be? And so, I don't know. I kind of think, like, is this fair? You know, you know Angel Gabriel, if you punish Zachariah for this. And, and I don't know. I, I, I don't know what the answer to that is exactly, except for just to look at the text, right? And it just says that Zachariah did not believe, right? The angel knew whether the words came out exactly that way or not, but the angel knew that Zechariah had not yielded to that truth, whereas it's clear here, and Mary will say in a minute, that she had, right? And so she's asking maybe more the wonder and wonderment question, like, how's that going to happen, right? Rather than the skeptical or the unyielding version of it. And so the angel answered her, the, Lord, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and therefore the child will be born. Um, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month of her, with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word, right? There's that yielding. Let it be to me, according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Okay. So, last one. This is a Rembrandt. I even, even I knew about Rembrandt. So, okay, this one's kind of hard to see. But this is Elizabeth visit, or Mary visiting Elizabeth, okay? Verse 39. Almost done. In those days, Mary rose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. This is probably at least like 80 miles, people think. Long walk. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Wow. So Elizabeth like, gets this huge download right as Mary shows up. Right, This is the Holy Spirit working and talking to her helping her to understand all these different things. So she experiences famously, right, this, the baby leaping in her womb. And as I, was, I was looking for different paintings of this, there's like some real weird ones <laughs> that try to show it. And so for your sake, I avoided all of those. Um, but there, yeah, there's some weird ones. Um, and so we see that there's great joy, right? This is, this is a story that involves tremendous joy, tremendous, uh, uh, I don't know, sense of rightness and of connection with God that things are falling into place, like, like he says there, um, of what was spoken from the Lord, okay? That's pretty amazing stuff. And so what I want to do with just the, the bit of time we have left, I just want to talk about the practice of joy and just what we see out of this, okay? And 
couple of, the first couple of these things are things we've talked about already, okay? That the practice of joy is essential, okay? If you missed, the, if you missed Chris's teaching a couple of weeks ago, he did a great job talking not just biblically but scientifically why it is essential for our flourishing and transformation. And I actually forgot the, the, the book, The Other Half of Church, that we've mentioned a couple of times has a great story in it, um, or has, has a great explanation of transformation in it, and why that is necessary, uh, why joy is necessary for your transformation. It's essential, right? It's not a back burner thing. It's not something that we should put to the side. God cares about joy. And so we've got to understand that for the practice of joy, okay? And here's what we've also talked about. It requires mutual connection to God and people, Right? We might say that it's relational. David has used that word. But it requires mutual connection. Right? So we think about the story that we've just been in. The places where you're seeing joy happen is where there's real connection occurring. And certainly in Mary and Elizabeth, Mary and Elizabeth right? you see this coming together. And they are just like, Elizabeth is so connected with Mary that she can see, right? she can hear from the Holy Spirit exactly all these things that she wouldn't have known otherwise. And she's able to just embrace, and it says at the end of the passage that they spent three months together, three months together. And so there's just this deep connection um, with each other, and there's this deep connection to God, right, through the angel, and as, as Mary is, is just yielding herself to what uh, God wants to do, joy requires connection, right? And this is one of the ways that we know, and we, we don't have time to get into it, but one of the ways that we know uh, that something isn't joy that something is a counterfeit of joy, okay? That you're just getting that dopamine hit, but there's not actually real joy behind it, okay? Is that there's not connection. So when there isn't connection, but you kind of get this sense of pleasure, right? The dopamine hit, right? You're looking at your phone or something, and like you see something funny, but it's just like, it's kind of like an escape. You're just scrolling through. Or, you know, or whatever other pursuits that we have sometimes. Sometimes we as Christians, we, we avoid joy <laughs> because we realize that there's some dangers in pursuing things that um, are pleasurable, right? There are, there's, there's some danger in that, but how do you tell the difference? Well, it's really a lot about whether there's connection or not. And when there is mutual connection with God and people, then actually there's a good chance that that's real joy. And, um, and so here's the, here's the last thing. This is where we're going to camp. The practice of joy is the practice of being fully present, of being fully present. That just kind of gets to connection, right? It kind of dials in on that a little bit more. Um, so if we think about the story, okay? Zachariah, this is why we picked this, is that there's this clear kind of differentiation between what happens with Zachariah and what happens with Mary? And what happens with Mary and Elizabeth? And I think there's a, a, there are various differences, but one of the really clear ones in this context of joy is that I don't think Zachariah was able to be fully present. Right? He was living somewhere else. Maybe in the past, right? Maybe with his disappointment. He was living with this idea that, oh, I can't go there, right? Have you ever said that? I can't go there. Um, he was probably living with those duties that were in front of him, right? Going in and burning these incense and all that. There's a whole bunch of details around that that you could read about. Um, that was like a big deal. There was a lot to do. It was like, 
You know, people were expecting him outside. You know, I mean, just like I think there's just a lot going on. And then there's this just the event that he's reacting to. He doesn't know what to make of it. And so he's with all of those things, he's just not able to be fully present. And because of that, he misses the joy that God wanted for him in that moment. Now, like I said, God is gracious, and he returned that joy to him many times over, right? It wasn't like just because he missed it that one time, it was gone forever. Thank God. Okay? But he did miss it in that moment. He wasn't able to be fully present. Mary was. Mary was able to actually absorb it. And in fact, when you read more about Mary, right, you see this theme come up with her, She's treasuring things up in her heart. You know, she has this song right afterwards where it's just so clear she has absorbed the moment, right? She has taken in what is happening in front of her. She has, she has turned her face, right? We've used that in the series, this idea that when we, when we turn our face to something, that when we receive God's face turned towards us, that's where joy is. That's definitional to joy, being able to actually be face-to-face. And, you know, and that's not just a physical thing, right, of course. Right? I mean, I could be looking at you and not actually present or connected. Right? The idea is, no, I'm fully, I'm fully invested. I'm fully here with you, whether that's God or whether that's with people. The practice of joy is the practice of being fully present. And so conversely, right, things that take you away from being fully present... And I don't know, there's a lot of things that do that. (laughs) This might be one of them, right? Then that is something that blocks joy. That is something that keeps us from experiencing joy, whether it's big deal joy or certainly the joy in the quotidian, right? Not being able to be fully present. So this is what we're going to do to help us for just a couple minutes, okay? Um, I've, got, I've got two of these. You're, we're going to have to just do the second one on your own. But the first one is this. Okay, so you've got your sheets of paper or something to write on. And you can close your eyes uh, for this, or you can just work on writing. Either way is fine. And kids, you can do this too, okay? So you can, you can review your week. This is a great practice to do, all right? So think back on your week. And just ask Jesus to highlight a time when you were connecting, okay? Either with God or others or both, right? Then when you're connecting and able to be fully present. And hopefully you have a sense for what that means, right? And if you don't, you can ask Jesus, like, I don't really know what that means. Can you show me more what being fully present is like? So think of a time this week where that happened. And then reflect on how that happened, right? How did I get there? Why was it that I felt this being fully present? And what did that feel like? Okay? So I'm just going to give us a minute and a half. Okay? And it's all good. You don't, you don't, you know, there's a little bit of sound from children and that is not a problem. You can just think and you can write and you can use the notes if you want, if that helps you. minute and a half.
just feel free to jot some notes down, right? might help you to process. For some of us, writing things is helpful in recall and reflection. And see if as you're thinking about that, right, what is that, what does that feel like? Can you identify joy welling up in that, being present? Okay, so you can keep going with that later today. That'd be a good thing to do. Um, I put on here bonus. <laughs> I wanted to start with the affirmative, right? Times when you felt like this was true. But of course, um, probably, if we're honest, we had a lot more of the, the converse, where there were times when we didn't feel connected and we weren't able to be present, right? And so you could also reflect on that. What was happening there? Why was I not able to be present? What, was the, what were the choices that might have been different? There are times when it's really hard to be present, right? And I don't think God expects us to just be able to do stuff like this, you know, like to go from zero to 100. Um, part of the whole point is that it takes practice, right? It takes effort. And as you develop these skills, as you develop this ability to be able to, to be more present, um, I think God will have more joy for us. And wouldn't that be awesome? Okay. All right, so I'm going to actually go ahead and have the worship team come up. We're going to go into communion. Here's the second thing. We'll send this out by email. We're not going to do it here, but think about a choice you have in front of you and ask Jesus to show you his plans for more true joy in that choice, okay? And really, this is, I think this is something we've not covered at all in this series. This could be its whole other series. It's like, how do, you, how do you actually move towards more joy? Like, how do you know that God is where God is leading you and use this idea of the fact that he wants more joy for you as a way to hear him? Um, that's, a, that's a real thing. It's called consolation. And we can, we can learn how to do that. We can learn how to identify more joy. So.